Hi, and welcome to episode 85 of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This episode, we're talking with Guy Gadney. This was recorded on the 6th of December, 2023. Guy and I talk about new forms of storytelling and placing people inside a story, the LLM hype and the data of LLMs, quantum computing, awareness of data bias, the data lake of murky stuff and data provenance, copyright infringement, and the assets of the creative industries, and possibly the destructive ideology of innovation. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can go to machine-ethics.net. You can contact us by email, hello at machine-ethics.net. You can follow us on Twitter, machine underscore ethics, Instagram, machine ethics podcast, YouTube, at machine-ethics. And if you can, you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks very much and hope you enjoy. Hi, Guy. Uh, Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, if you could give us a brief uh, synopsis of who you are and what do you do? So um, my name is Guy Gadney. I run a company called Charisma AI. Uh, we're really interested in how AI is going to impact the creative industries. And I've long held a, a sort of passion, um, uh, almost a calling for how storytelling might change due to technology in its broadest sense. And AI uh, solves a lot of the problems there. So um, my focus really is on on creative industries, on storytelling, and uh, and how AI might spawn wonderful new forms of storytelling. Awesome. Thank you, Guy. Um, I, I've already got the questions for you just from that <laughs> intro. So that's awesome. Um, the question we always ask the, the head of the show is kind of what is this thing? What is AI to you? What are we talking about? Um, and well, I think AI uh, broadly is either the best thing that's ever going to happen or the worst thing that's ever going to happen. And probably the truth is somewhere in between on a broad level. Uh, for me, uh, it's it's an interesting one because it is such a broad umbrella, it, and I, I'm I'm sort of uh, old enough to remember, you know, when the web first started, and it was like, oh, it's the internet. What is the internet? And and actually, the answer is is that it it depends. It depends on on what the exact question is. So AI, as we know, is this incredibly broad term specifically within charisma and the way that we uh, have started we started uh, with natural language processing so the ability to uh, understand what someone is saying to one of our characters and uh, and then machine learning that sits alongside that to um, to build up the data sets and the data management systems that we have sitting way under the hood you know we try and hide a lot of that technology uh for 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 creative people who are writers and just want to write good stories so so for me uh you know there there is this very broad church of ai uh, for us specifically with natural language processing and then machine learning and then increasingly as as time has ticked on in the last couple of years it's naturally started to be infused with elements of generative ai about which we've we've long held um a very bullish view on actually it's it uh, but but again uh we can talk about that in a minute um so in your intro you kind of in, introduced this idea of being there are other forms of um entertainment or, or story writing um different kind of 
modes. How how do you kind of see that? How do you see the AI the kind of um, technologies enabling new ways of telling stories? Well, so let's keep it at a very high level to begin with. I think the way in which people uh, are looking at AI and also how they're fearful of AI is 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 put into two camps. And the first one is it, uh, it is when it's applied to the current state of something. And generally, you can spot that because people use the words efficiency or productivity or things like that. And very often, that's where uh, it may be to do the same thing, but faster or the same thing, but with less people or, you know, you get this, you get the idea. Um, and that is uh, a whole debate. But let's put that to one side for a second, because the area that interests me is actually the other side of that, which is what new can be done with this? Where is the innovation? Where, what does it enable us to do that we couldn't do before? Um, and for me, it's in, in storytelling, it's actually a very simple conundrum, which is we can, uh, or, or, or sort of what happens really when, when you place the audience inside a story. Mm. And that very simple statement has enormous ramifications because you start to think about uh, what is the impact? What, what you know how far do you go is it an open world simulator in a sort of elon musk or or you know real life thing or is it gta 6 is it uh no man's sky which is more you know procedurally generated worlds in the games industry um and our view really has and, and the way that we built the technology starts from the art of storytelling we didn't build a chatbot tech and then try to you know uh, bolt on storytelling or bolt on emotions or bolt on memories or these sorts of things we started thinking how does a story work and now how can we make that story new by putting the audience inside the story so in essence what charisma does is that it allows um a uh, a player a user whatever the terminology that we, that, mm. that we want to do to speak to the characters in this story and for the characters to understand and contextualize what the uh, what you've said and that then changes the story because it changes their emotions and naturally if you've got a spy story for example and you are uh, able to build up a sense of trust with that spy then they will tell you more information if the spy does not trust you then they're not going to tell you the information and the story goes down a different pathway so that to me is fascinating um, and naturally, there are questions about, well, how many pathways are there and so forth. But yeah. but for us, really, a lot of that, um, those more finite questions are solvable with AI because and, and because of the approach that we're taking storytelling. So it's for me, that's that's the interesting bit. It's like what new forms of storytelling um, can we generate? And and just to wrap that piece up, it, it, it was sort of the inspiration behind Charisma, which is I wanted to tell these stories. And I couldn't find a technology that, you know, that wasn't Excel or Word or HTML or IBM Watson, God forbid, you know, that 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 wouldn't absolutely break me as I tried to tell these stories. So that was really the one of the inspirations behind Charisma AI. Yeah. So what you're saying there is that it 
I guess that with the advent of this technology, these these sets of tools, essentially, because you're obviously talking about um, various um, parts of the stack, like the NALP bit might do. Are we are we talking about sentiment, and we're talking about um, pulling kind of themes from what someone's saying, and then maybe there are other parts of that stack as well that you're you're using, and um, depending on what you're trying to produce, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and and you, you've you've touched on on a couple of things there. Just mm. why you say so? Sentiment analysis, great. Everyone's doing sentiment analysis, and they should, and that's part of the mix. Yep. Themes is interesting because now what happens is that that sentiment is now contextual, and quite rightly, if you say, um, I mean, try it in real life. Uh, you know, disclaimer, please. Uh, <laughs> but you know, if you go up to someone and say, "I love you." the context in which you say that is so layered that uh you, you sort of get you sort of get the, get the analogy right yeah. um it it could be it, it could have many different impacts depending on the context of that particular moment and that uh that's where story comes in you know that's where that contextualization around what's happened before your relationship with those characters and critically what the narrative and the universe uh is um changes that changes that response so that's yeah. that's a bit of the magic that's you know that's the um there'd be dragons in some way so you were alluding to before that there is it is you could brute force it before maybe you could um i'm imagining someone writing a lot of text right and maybe having some sort of arcane id thing to tie all these texts together loads of like variables going around to to try and make this all work into some sort of big story soup uh, are you kind of just making that gi ginormous task which uh seems like it could have happened but would have been just seemingly impractical intractable before and it's now this thing that you can kind of go away and do and maybe you almost need to, to kind of um open people up to the idea I can imagine a writer um, hasn't had this tool before and may not kind of be able to instantly work out what the, the end product might be, uh, essentially. I guess those are two questions, but... <laughs> well, they, they, they are two questions. I think the, um, the, the latter one first, which is that it depends on the type of writer. Mm. And when we were first starting to design uh, the Charisma Tech Stack, we ran... Writers' rooms. We ran them with the BBC. We ran them at, at Story Futures uh, in Bath and Bristol, and a lot of that was really to to gauge how we should design the product and tap into that existing workflows. Um, and interestingly, some writers, for us, surprisingly, games writers especially, actually didn't they 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 were resistant to it because they had been used to writing in certain ways. The most overlap came from theatre and, and, and within that, immersive theatre. Mm. And my interpretation of that was that as a theatre writer, as a theatre practitioner, you're so aware of the audience more than you are with, as, uh, with working in TV or film or even games where you're writing your piece, but actually, you know, the player's not there or the viewer's not there. It's, it's, in some ways, it's, even though it may be branching, it's still a, still a monologue. Mm. 
Mm. Whereas in theatre, you're aware of the energy, you're aware of a of a of a performance night, and they say at the end, you know, thank you, you've been a great audience, and there's meaning behind that. Um, and I'm sure they wouldn't say it if it was a lousy, lousy audience that night. Uh, and then immersive theatre, even more so, because the player is the, sorry, the the um, uh, the visitor, the audience uh, on an immersive theatre production is contributing, and you need to think about that audience. You need to cast them in the story. So I think there's a a, a definite fit there. Um, back onto the uh, that sort of structural piece, I think the big shift and the innovation that we're trying to bring again is very simple which is natural language you know the way that bandersnatch worked on netflix or a lot of sort of interrogation scenes in video games work mm. is you have four buttons you have the ubiquitous a b c d choose between those You're like no i don't want to choose those i want to choose something else i want to you know i, I want to go down this but i want to say something else because what's in my mind now as an imaginative person is something other than what has, is up on screen and the moment you uh, you, you decouple uh, that interface and you put it into a natural language environment where I can now speak to that character, mm. um, it's infinite. Managing that is a whole other piece. But I think that's again is where where we've spent a lot of time to to create the tools that that can create these sorts of environments for writers and make them easier, not having to write, you know, infinity. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like you don't want to end up having to write for all eventualities because then, well, you know, you're back to square one essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why so bullish? <laughs> um, it feels like the 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 recent kind of explosion in LLMs, large language models, has um, would be some like a, a a boon to what you're doing, or could be utilized in some way, or um what's what's the tension there oh so i think uh the way it's it's all in the way you use it you know and we were we were very aware of the hype cycle of things like nfts and, and metaverse and i sort of went eh, something just doesn't smell right you know does it part of it? no not really it may come back further down the track but having seen a lot of these cycles come and go those particular ones i was a little bit nervous of ai uh you know the the hype cycle started in the 1950s arguably so we're not looking at something which is suddenly new you know we're looking at an evolution which has then spawned you know sudden growth over the last um 12 months so you know really you you, you can look at a number of different launch uh, points but chat gpt clearly was one that leapt into the public conscious um i think there is hype around llms um and specifically that a lot of the finance industry and VCs like, oh, well, how many LLMs have you got? Oh, well, you know, this company's got, you know, 40 LLMs and that one's got 50. Therefore, they must be valued more. I mean, that's just completely ridiculous a way to to, to judge anything um, and incredibly uh, short lived. Actually, I think that will that will come on that, that will come and go. So for me, the bullishness comes from. uh actually the long gestation period of ai and the various ai winters that have happened in the past and that has allowed a series of foundation stones to 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 be placed onto onto which we build sort of where we are today i think that then you start to look at where we are today also in terms of the the incredible levels of innovation 
that are coming mm-hmm. and the equal and uh, um, potentially opposing, you know, questions that are raised around that innovation. Um, and that is sort of where we are today. And I think there's going to be that, that, that slight battle. So I'm, I'm very bullish about its growth without a shadow of a doubt. And I've often said that I think, you know, AI is not this thing that exists in a bubble. That's part of its difference. You know, it's, mm. it is this tsunami in the sense that it is broad and it is deep and the volume of change that it's bringing to, to, um, every element of society from the coffee cup manufacturer on my desk through to chipsets through to video games through to creative industries and manufacturing transport you know all of these different areas um that's different to metaverses or nfts it's a very very different model so uh, the bullishness i think is is largely born out of having charted the history of it and then starting to see where where it's going to head it's simply not going away it simply is not, and I would, um, I, I, I'm, I'm at hundred percent convinced that it's, it's about how we, what we do with it next that is interesting. Yeah, and and in your mind, uh, I know you we obviously asked that question uh, at the beginning, but are those things, um, would you say, machine learning things, or are they um, all of the things that you might associate with AI technologies? Um, so you mentioned NLP, obviously. Um, you might have expert systems, you know, you might have um, the kind of neural networks, but also all the other things that uh, contribute to machine learning techniques, um, like uh, support vector machines, uh, decision trees, you know, the whole gamut of those things? Or are you talking very specifically about um, one specific technology, do you think? Oh, it's it's the breadth. And that's part of the that's part of it is that it's not just one piece. It is that this is a a recipe with multiple ingredients, and the way in which you combine those those ingredients is very variable, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, that only expands the innovation. So it is it is a um, y- you know it, it it is it accelerates its growth broadly speaking is ai and by the way that's before we even factor in quantum you know quantum computing which is is a whole other podcast i mean like a whole other <laughs> podcast channel ben this is you know we we, we will meet again in right. a couple of years and we can talk about quantum stuff okay cool yeah that is that that that's coming down that's you know that's another um rocket uh booster rocket to be fired into this whole thing at some point yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I haven't like the 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 promise of quantum is the kind of instantaneous, um, you know, producing answers to numerical questions. Um, I haven't I haven't really um, dove into the depths of what that means for machine learning techniques, really. But I can imagine it instantly does stuff right there. Um, a lot of cryptography are scared of what's coming down the line. But is is that a silver bullet for like more bigger AI techniques? Do you think? Um, well, I I tell you where my head's at today. As at where are we? Sort of almost Christmas twenty three. Um, I've I've actually got more interested in smaller language models recently rather than the larger ones. I think there is a a breadth which can breed a sort of vanilla output in a lot of ways and um and for certain use cases that's great and is fine is sort of you know one thing does everything mm. but also it tends to breed a homogenous approach 
to the outputs whereas something where um where you're 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 tied to a, to a specific set of data uh, uh might have might have a more focused result and you know you look at again pulling back you look at the amount of data the the the, the demographic of the data which sounds a weird thing to say but you know and I, I i don't like personalizing technology too much but let's call it the demographic of the data that is currently in play at the moment it is very broad it is very western it is very english uh arguably it's very white it's very middle class it's uh if it's internet it's very angry you know the the um the, the characteristics of it are um are probably things in which we should we should just to keep a mind and it's what we started looking at back in 2018 2019 when we when prior to building anything to do with the machine learning with charisma we were exploring unconscious bias in ai data sets and that um part of what came out of that paper was was an answer which you, you know there was a there was there was a lot of detail in there around how um how practically people could think about it but actually the call was just think about it you know think think that there is a bias if you mm. if you if you if you're thinking about the fact that there is a bias in all of us but also in the data sets are you okay with that data set and to have thought about that i think is probably is is the equivalent from shifting to neutral to first gear mm. at least you're moving forward yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean that. I mean, this is this is the podcast, right? This is everything about what we are here to kind of expose, get out there in the world, try and get people to think harder about um, some of these technologies and practices. Um, and part of my work and the people, some of the people I've, I've interviewed, is that thing. It's like, okay, it's a bit like getting yourself uh, data ready. There was this thing. Um, it's probably still a thing, but like. About five years ago, everyone was getting data ready uh, or getting uh, digital first and, and all these mm. sort of terms um, for businesses uh, because they had these dis distributed kind of systems and mm. they didn't really know how to use some of this technology coming in because they had data, but it was in different pots and it was in different shapes and all this sort of stuff. Um, getting data ready was part of that. Um, situation where you can actually utilize that data and, and do some, um, you can do some basic analysis, right? People mm. want to do basic things with data. Um, and if you want to do more exciting things with data, um, you can start leaning on some of those machine, uh, those machine learning techniques um, as well. Um, but it feels like we need to be getting into this kind of like, um, have you thought about your data situation like it's not a big data lake it's like it's a lake of bias right it's a lake of um, murky stuff have you thought about the murkiness of your data <laughs> um, um yeah absolutely because i i uh uh so again back in probably 2019 i think i forget the exact chronology i was mm. doing a a fellowship with um, the Southwest a group of Southwest universities, and it was a fellowship of uh, on, on automation, mm -hmm. and it 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 was a wonderful opportunity, a particular moment in time, to have uh, a bit of time to deep think about this. That's what they. That's right. what the purpose of it was, and a couple of the insights that 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 it gave me. I think what, the first one was something i sort of categorize as, as saying you know ai is the cause automation is the effect 
and we were focused on automation. And that is really interesting because suddenly you're starting to look not at, you know, like your question was around which bits of AI is it? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. you know what? It doesn't matter. The What matters is the effect and what effect are you having? And um, that, and it's automation, which is the effect. So let's start there and then work backwards. So I think there was there was there was that piece around um, the, the philosophy of it, and at the same time, a couple, there were a couple of other key things that happened during that period. One was uh, I was researching data provenance. Yeah, where does this stuff come from? And looking a lot at big tech. And I started diving into a legal case between the uh, Authors Guild of America and Google, started in 2015, which was around, and it, it stemmed around Google Books mm. and Google scanning books and copyright. And I started to look at Google and not only the Google Books, but also things like Street View. And the fact that Google was going into museums like here in Oxford and, you know, which are open, you know, technically speaking, open source, you know, mm -hmm. creative commons, whatever the, 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 the particular uh, categorization they want to put on it. But in essence, they're open. And yet when I looked at the street view version of a museum, which is open, there's the, there's the little sign at the bottom right hand saying copyright Google. Like that's not okay. That is that is that you know at the, at the it's just not okay. It's mm, it's mm. it's the and and you're you, because you're not thinking oh well it's just a little label. You're thinking what is the motivation behind someone making the active conscious decision to have gone in and said we were going to scan your collection, we're going to scan your museum, we're going to yep. scan your art. Uh, and it's all about getting and and the pitches. And I know because I've had that pitch myself when I was mm. working for a content owner. Oh, well, what, what it's going to do is it's going to create new uh, awareness for you. It's going to create new uh, new revenue because it's more people coming and more awareness of it, more visitors, footfall, whatever. And yet, uh, actually, what was going on at the very least mm. was then copywriting that material. So that was a red flag to me potentially it was then using that data to uh to train models and as we know at the moment with the various cases that are around it is a it is an it is incredibly hard to prove uh whether or not that has done and however what the uh ceo of the authors guild said at the time around that case was was very simple which which is very true that there is a, a massive change uh redirection of wealth away from the creative industries to the tech. And indeed, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago in London where one of the speakers there said it in even more uh, visceral terms, which is um, the tech industry has been on the attack for media industry for years. Just no one's ever called it. It's, a, it's an absolute outright attack. And it's an attack on uh advertising it's an attack on publishing it's an attack on copyright it's an attack on everything mm. and i think and this and and so my what what we need to do then and what i've been uh keen to to energize 
is as uh, is an element of awareness within the creative industries that what the creative industries owns is incredibly valuable you know and copyright is important in that but mm. so is creativity uh so are stories as a way to communicate between people um so when you when you ask about sort of data in its own sense i i, I it, it it reminds me back of when I was working at Penguin Books back in back in the day, which was sort of CD-ROM days, and we had I had an IT guy working in the team there, and he talked about all the books that we published as data, and you can imagine how popular that was. But that was the first time that I'd heard, you know, um, poems or short stories or biographies or, you know, uh, Harry Potter or whatever collectively referred to as data and it abstracted it from the things that we love into something that seemed to be something we didn't really care about mm. and it was a very it was a moment i think where the two uh, banks of the river moved away from each other and and i've been keen to bridge that ever since and ironically i'm not ironically uh, coincidentally uh, it's why I sit on the Bridge AI advisory group representing the creative industries because I'm keen to build that bridge, and that bridge needs to be done by by understanding um, and making bloody sure that we've we we are we are very clear about the landscape into which we're moving, and ethics is a strong part of that, but actually it's more detailed than that. Mm -mm. So I, I feel like. Um... I'm going to put my technologist hat on here. I, I feel like they um, they would probably say that the landscape is changing, and the you know the media industry or the creative industries need to catch up with the coming tide or the the change in technology. Um, and you know, if they are not going to play in that, that arena, then they are not going to you know be around for very much longer. Um, I guess the other side of that is what you're saying is they are undermining the kind of the creative aspect of the thing in its its own right and probably undermining the kind of economic uh, flow back to the creator itself as well. So I don't know if maybe, like for me, when you were talking about the museum, uh, I'm just kind of <laughs> ride on the things you said, um, it, it felt like the the copyright just isn't appropriate essentially um you know they might have got permission but maybe copyright isn't actually the right thing to be slapping on the bottom of that picture um you know what i mean it, it, it doesn't mean enough to, to to make sense you know it might be that the copyright of that image is google or it might be shared copyright of that image but the things that it's taking pictures of could be the commons and then how are we squaring that is copyright the right um, vehicle for that probably not um so yeah it's interesting how the, the landscape is changing and, and maybe the 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 economics is is getting in the way of the fact that we haven't actually caught up legally or kind of ethically um for those things i mean to a degree um i think that you know it, there is there is clearly a um there is clearly there, there there are some very sort of you know uh, prevalent one-liners mm. around at the moment. It's like things like oh copyright you know yes but um, I read a book I read a book and then I write another book as a result uh, of reading that book um, you know I'm not infringing copyright 
and it's exactly the same as ingesting um, that into, you know, into a large language model. Well, right. no, it's not. It's a completely different technology process. Your, yeah. your, your. That that argument is uh, anthropomorphizing computers for a start. It's giving creativity where it's not. It's a machine. Mm -hmm. So that argument, I think, is completely null. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, has has value in it. Um, and then, you know, as we look into innovation and, and ethics and so forth and the battles recently at OpenAI, for example, mm. clearly that's what that battle was about. And it's fine as long as one's very clear about the vested interests that and, and the motivations that sit around it. It's not as 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 clear as saying it's innovation versus regulation. It's much more complicated than that. And you know there are some interesting quotes from from Andrus and Horowitz around this uh, around basically uh, remember that they are funding this mm. and they are dictating a lot of the strategy and if you want specific examples look at the recent case of uh, of stability ai who's moved away from open sourcing into more commercial entities as uh, as dictated by their investors okay so that you know that's that's mm in the press that was reported and that was that was part of the move around it so th there are other interests in this space now the motivations of the vc is to turn a profit for themselves hmm. that's the motivation there is it's it's very simple for themselves and for their portfolio companies uh or for their portfolio um uh, well, companies, yes, but actually it's for, for the people who are providing them with the funds to be able to go out and invest. And so having seen this this story again in, in, in 20, in, for the dot-com one, there is elements of this play, playing itself as well. So as we look at things like, well, shouldn't we be allowed to innovate? Yes, but I might say to you, Ben, tell you what, I want to innovate. I What I want to do is I don't really like the way that you've painted your house. So I'm going to paint. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take out the front wall because that's innovation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it into a cafe for people. And by the way, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to then take the revenue from that because uh, I think it's really cool and it's my idea. And mm. how cool is that? Now, you might have something to say about that. You might not. It'd be fine. Yep. But um, I, you might say, well, hang on a second. You're infringing. I, I own this house. This is This is my house, you know. Like, well, mm. I know, but come on, don't be so with ownership. Really, granddad? Come on, but get with the program. We're doing innovation here. And and you start to see that actually there's a little bit of, you know, there, 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 are, there, are, there are motivations behind it, which are slightly different. So this is a complex, we're, we're operating quite a complex, nuanced environment uh, at a moment in humanity where, unfortunately, um, nuance is, is not the flavor of the day. And uh, you know, a politically more binary and um, and populist um, volume gets gets the gets the piece. So it's a little it's it's complicated, but as long as we're like I keep going back to 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 our point about data sets and unconscious bias. As long as we're thinking about it, you know, uh, then then that's a good thing. And for mm -hmm. people who are the technology side, if you are coding it and you're thinking about it, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. There is absolute design in the algorithm. So. Actually, let's circle back to that. When when you were writing that paper, what kinds of data were you talking about um, when you were writing that? What kinds of was it? Was it writing? Was it numbers? You know. Oh, it was so interesting because because back in back at that point, there was very little to work off. 
we knew that uh, because there wasn't that level of training in the same way that there is now and um around that time which was probably just as gpt2 was launching again i was in touch with uh, a guy called connor leahy who's now working um in the stability ai uh, umbrella and he he had just hacked gpt2 and uh was going to release the source code mm. on online and i connected with him we had a fascinating call um where we talk he, connor is uh you know incredibly smart and philosophical and technological so we started to think about what data sets were there and what were not and he then went on to found to be one of the founders of luther ai and you know which was behind the pile and various other things but arguably at that point the um the data sets were rare if they were public open source or highly proprietary which were google so we were we were having to make assumptions around a lot of what was what what the the lay of the land was mm. at that point but also you know what that gave us a little bit of freedom to be able to think slightly more outside the box and not get tied down into um into moments in time you know into detail around a specific data set but start to pull back and look at it more of a more of a uh, a landscaping which which made made i think that paper um have more longevity mm. yeah 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 well you have to you have to send me uh, a link afterwards yeah well so exactly. it was up anyway um so we spoke a bit, a bit about this kind of technological attack on the creative industries do you see um the llm situation um or kind of a a large like language like as the 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 prominent term there as being problematic uh, especially for s storytelling um but also maybe for also kind of the kind of prospects for for telling stories and the economic um situation for, for that you know uh to a degree yes but but let me be clear the 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 uh the concept of the attack that was that was very much me quoting someone else on it i think mm. where i'm i'm close yeah. to to what the authors guild said which is there is a an unprecedented redistribution of wealth uh you know and and the problem with that is if the pendulum swings too far and technologically it 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 is the problem of training models on synthetic data and it starts to get recursive the pure the data and i'm pausing on the word because pure is is an odd word to use but let's say the more actually in some ways the more human created the data um as far as we can see it at the moment the better it is to train on that data the more synthetic and recursive that data is in other words it's been produced by ai you start to get um uh less value in that data which means that the the input of the human is important and therefore there's value associated with it and therefore we should appreciate that and that's really i think the the key um certain things can be automated and certain things actually we still for for a number of technological reasons we still need humans in the mix and that's okay you know it's it's okay it's you, we don't need to automate uh the hell out of absolutely everything because you know i mean uh, again the, the, there's a car analogy which is i'd far prefer driving a manual than a, an automatic 
because it's more responsive. It's more visceral. I like it. I enjoy it. Mm. I feel I'm a part of it. Yeah. And automatic, just this slow, you know, slow to respond. Do you like driving an automated car? I don't really. I, frankly, I don't really dri- like driving driving anyway, and I can't mm. wait for you know self driving cars because I think the whole thing is is again sort of statistically ridiculous that so many accidents and and, and traffic yeah. issues are caused by humans. Um, but I don't really uh, I don't really enjoy driving uh, you know uh, an automatic. No, I find it's boring. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm with you. I, I think the the quicker they can usher in um, automated, um, even if it's buses, you know, just like yeah buses that are everywhere <laughs> that, are, um, that you can get in and, and you can quite happily read the paper or the i you know the e-ink screen that you know this is the future world um on the way to work and don't have to worry about um you know being conscious enough and having had my coffee to like get in the car and not yeah, uh, but you, know. This is, you know it's such a good point this because because what where ai has focused and you look look at the big headlines from deep mind and various others over the years it's like it they are um hey ai has beaten a chess master ai has beaten the top go player ai has beaten beaten like beaten like bah, it's, it's beaten yeah. it's once like why you know AI has managed to recreate, uh, you, you know, uh, an artwork or Bach. Okay, right. Well, again, there's context to that, which is what is what is Bach, what is not. To me, it's very simple. If Bach composed it, it's a Bach. If it's yeah. not, it, you know, it's like me trying to do it, which is not going to end well. Now, okay, there's that. But surely, you know, traffic issues environmental issues energy issues Mm, mm. there are some bigger things at play here which you could have started to move these things on now the technology people listening to this might be infuriated by that statement on the basis of well you've got to get from one step to another yeah but there's a direction you know so thank you very much for your time guy um the last question we always ask on the podcast is around this idea of you know something you might have already said but you know, what excites you and what really kind of frightens you about our AI mediated future? Um, oh, I mean, the, the creative part of my mind is incredibly excited by it. And I, I think the uh, I and mean, I said that that I think as we sit here in in 2023, if we were to fast forward to 2030 and. Uh, and again, you know, for context, it's it's just this week was the first birthday, if you like, of ChatGPT. So let's fast forward nine years. Um, I don't think we're at five percent of the innovation that 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 we'll see, you know, uh, over the from of where AI is going to go and its mm-hmm. impact, um, which you know is is probably an easy thing to say. So I think that the way in which we use it is is incredibly exciting, and the uh, new innovations that we that we will see coming out of it, um, that and the new benefits that we see coming out of it, I I'm really excited uh, for. Specifically, I'd love it, I'd love it f- for people to start to turn the lens of AI, turn the lens of AI onto. Um, societal issues i think that's that's an important piece uh and and hopefully will become a positive action 
you know, I mean, Bridge AI does a does a good effort to that. You know, in the UK, Innovate UK is for, is is looking at yes, the creative industries, which I, I sort of involved with, but also manufacturing and construction and transport are the other three. Mm. So there's there is a there is an ongoing focus on that, which excites me. And in terms of my fear about it, um, I think there is a I, I I think fear is an interesting one because I don't really think about the concept of fear in its broadest sense on that. I more think about how we might solve fear with education. Um, and I look again at, at sort of nas- the national strategies that that Finland did early, early on with their AI strategy. And uh, it all revolved around um educating the company the educating the country such that poor the fear that goes away and they can start to look at a clear line of sight and a pathway moving forward you know mm. that and that to me is that to me is both the fear and the excitement in one go uh guy thank you so much for your time i know that you've got to head Pleasure. off um how do people uh, find out about you follow you um find your work uh Probably, uh, I mean, charisma.ai is is where we we focus our, our time on uh, everything to do with charisma. Otherwise, uh, generally, I'm on Twitter a bit, on LinkedIn a lot, um, and relatively easy to find um, online. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Great to see. You. Hello, and welcome to the End Podcast. Thanks again to Guy for coming to talk to us. He obviously has strong opinions about technology and and its application in the cultural industries. I find the the unprecedented redistribution of wealth is probably true, but also it seems like techno determinism, doesn't it? It's it's hard to see around that or the different possibilities of how that could have played out. I'm hoping, especially with this LLM and copyright infringement issue at the moment, that we're in the position of maybe thinking again about what copyright is and who is it for and how we can use it and how it operates in a technologically mediated world. If you have any thoughts on that, would like to come on the show, then do email us at at hello at machine-ethics.net. And as always, tell your friends about the podcast. And if you can, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.